we are trying out this facility for a seven week period and uh, we normally will always be in the large school hall across the way. Uh, but on a few occasions if we do have this long term, we will have to be in a smaller part. Uh, that might be an opportunity to do a north-south service or something like that in the church. Because uh, obviously we're filling this up quite well already. Uh, but this will be uh, a very rare occasion that we'll be in here for Sunday service. Should we decide long term and then uh, to go ahead and hire this venue? We should know something by early December uh, along those lines. Um, last time we were in Luke's Gospel, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. Uh, we looked at this uh, theme of peaks and valleys. And uh, we talked about two, two big ideas from the text, right? These ideas of mountaintop uh, moments, how God, you know, he, He's made us to experience His glory. Peter, James, and John got to go with Jesus up to uh, a mountain, and while Jesus is praying, Moses and Elijah appear to Him, and His face is transfigured before them. They get to share this mountaintop moment with Jesus. And we're reminded that we too get to experience those moments in life, and ultimately that will be heaven. Uh, and, and that was an awesome thing. But of course, they come back down from the mountain uh, to what we, was our second big idea, the messy middles of life. Uh, his disciples who were left the nine, they couldn't drive out uh, a, a father's uh, son's demons. Uh, and, and they're arguing with him. And, and Jesus, of course, comes in. They bring it to him and he fixes it. We talked about bringing Jesus into our messes and how important that is. Um, so hopefully we learn a lot. Uh, from that particular section we're going to read on here uh, in Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 43 where we left off last time. Let's read together. So after this event, in Luke 9, verse 43, it says, They were all amazed at the greatness of God, so they've got their attention back on where it should be. And it says in the next paragraph there, Well, everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did. He said to his disciples in verse 44, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them. So they did not grasp it. They were afraid to ask him about it. Verse 46, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Verse 49, Master said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he is not one of us. Verse 50, do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. It's a really interesting passage here uh, as we, we look through um, these turn of events. Uh, but I want to focus in on this idea of true greatness, true, true greatness here uh, from the text. The disciples... They've already seen Jesus' true greatness throughout our study of the Gospel of Luke. So many miracles, you know, healings, uh, you know, these miraculous signs are just flowing out of Jesus. The crowds are forming. Uh, of course, he's now been transfigured on, on the mountain there uh, in front of, uh, you know, Peter and James and John. Uh, and now twice he says that he, he is the Messiah. He's going to go to Jerusalem and die. And he says it here again, um, as we just read, as he did when uh, Peter made his great confession. Yet in the midst of all this greatness, the, the disciples, they're arguing about who among them is the greatest. It reminds me of James uh, chapter James chapter uh, 4, verses 1 through 2. James says there, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires to battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, he says, because you do not ask God. You know, it reminds me uh, of the challenge of all of us, that we, we can get competitive, we can get sinful, and we can even get angry. You know, and simple, you know, competitive anger is as old as Cain and Abel, right? Go all the way back into Genesis. Uh, and on a couple of instances, of course, Jesus was righteously indignant. 
You can be angry and not sin. Uh, but we would all do well to heed the words of the Scottish hymn writer George Matheson, who said, There are times when I do well to be angry, but I often mistake the times. <laughs> we want to be truly great. We must learn to put aside anger. We must learn to put aside jealousy and be humble and loving. And as Jesus approached the cross, the disciples need to get this lesson clearly, right? It sounds childish. It sounds silly that, that in the midst of Jesus' greatness, that they're arguing about who among them is going to be the greatest. It just, it's unbelievable, right? But we can all sense a little bit of that in ourselves at times, can't we? We, we can't fault the disciples too much, can we? Because we all can struggle ourselves uh, with these very things. So what can we learn here uh, as we see Jesus' true greatness in con- contrast to his disciples grasping uh, for greatness? Well, just two big ideas here this morning. Uh, the first is, I think, this, this call to true humility. Jesus calls his disciples here to true humility. Of course, he'll ultimately display that. As Grace and Elliot Ricky, you know, shared about the cross. And that was the ultimate example, right, of Jesus' humility here. Um, but the context, again, you know, it, it just makes the, the, the uh, discussion of their greatness uh, just seem so absurd. You know, Jesus is, is talking about what he's going to do in verse 22 in chapter 9. Again, in verse 44, how he's going to go to, you know, as the Son of Man, as the Messiah, and die on the cross. And in verse 51, he'll now resolutely set out toward that fate in Jerusalem. Here in the text, the sandwich between these epic moments, right, is the disciples arguing about who is the greatest uh, among them. And sadly, it's a lesson they'll have to learn again at the Last Supper. We're going to read this later in Luke 22, verse 24. Don't turn there right now, but again, they're arguing about the same thing. The night before Jesus crucified, they're still arguing about who is going to be the greatest among them. And so we are also reminded that it's a lesson we have to learn over and over again. This idea of being humble before God uh, and before one another. You know, what what caused this? Well, ultimately, we, we could say it was their pride. It's pretty easy to see that, right? Uh, we know pride is a very dangerous sin. Uh, you know, how did pride come out? Well, it's speculation. We don't really know. But maybe the nine... They thought, wait a second, why did James, Peter, and John, why do they get to go to Jesus on the mountain? Why do they get to hang out with Moses and Elijah? You know, Peter, he's always put his foot in his mouth. You know, why, why is Jesus choosing him to go on that particular trip? You know, well, why are James and John being chosen? Those guys, they're, they're hot-headed brothers, you know. They, uh, you know, I don't get it. Or, or maybe it was the other way around. Maybe the three came down off the mountain. Oh, hey, did you hear about what we got to do? Did you hear what Jesus brought us into? And, you know, and then... Why can't you guys drive out this demon? If you had seen what we had seen, you may have you, 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 oh, I can do it right now if you want me to. You know, Brad, we're speculating. We don't really know. But again, we can understand the, you know, the competitiveness and the jealousy and the, the selfish ambition flowing out here. And it's all not humble at all. And they're missing the whole point. You know, pride is often found in our thinking. It says there in verse 47 in the text, back to the text here, um, you know, it says there in verse 47, uh, right there in the middle, it says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took aside a child and talked about you know, who you should really honor and who you should really serve. So ironically, sometimes we have to think more about our pride to be more humble. Sometimes we've got to identify the pride in our hearts to be more humble. Um, Benjamin Franklin, you guys know Benjamin Franklin in, in the UK? I think he was British, but he came to America and he did you know, more famous things there. But I love this quote by Benjamin Franklin in one of his books. He says, In reality, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. 
disguise it, struggle with it, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases. It is still alive, and will every now and then peep out and show itself. You will see it perhaps often in this history, referred to as writing. For even if I could concede that I completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. <laughs> Deep thought there, isn't it? From old Beth. You know, pride is at the root of almost all of our sins. If you take uh, our sins that we struggle with in our flesh, it oftentimes is rooted in our pride. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You know, why did why did Eve choose to, to taste the fruit? It was pride in her heart toward God. Why did Adam listen to, to Eve and taste the fruit too? It was pride in his heart toward God, right? You know, even, even in an act of humility sometimes, such as service, you know, even, even service in God's kingdom, there can be pride. You know, sometimes when, I know for me when I serve a little bit, when I just serve a little bit, there's a, there's a need, there's a situation in the church, and I just gave a little bit of my time to that, a little bit of effort, right? Uh, that oftentimes is my pride, because I think I, I, I'm, I'm meant to be something more important. Or, or maybe it's my insecurity, which is, I think, often a form of pride. Well, who am I to, to serve the church in this way? Oh, so a lack of service sometimes can be you know, about our pride. But also, we can also take a lot of pro- too much pride in our service. Oh, look what I do for God. Look how I give my life to God. Look how I pour out myself to God. Uh, and, and so even in a humble thing, as Christians such as serving, we can start to be proud. And that pride uh, is something that's very dangerous, because here we see it come out in the most ugliest of forms. Who is the greatest among us that the disciples are arguing about in the midst of Jesus' greatness? So, in the search for true humility, we've got to remember pride is often found in our thinking. But humility is often found in seeing our pride. Uh, the more we can see our pride, the more we can be humble uh, and grow. And the other thought here uh, is pride is fed by competition, but humility is fed by cooperation. Pride is fed by competition, but humility is fed by cooperation. Uh, you know, in, in, in the uh, text here, in Luke chapter 9, you know, to correct their pride in verse 48, Jesus takes a child and has the child stand at his side, right? In, in Judaism, in Jesus' day, uh, a child could not be taught the Torah until they were 12 years old. So it was likely a young child that Jesus brought beside him. And you remember the disciples shushed away the children in another instance in the Gospels. Well, that's because a rabbi wouldn't spend time teaching a child. But Jesus takes an unimportant person in their spiritual realm, and he puts this person right beside him, right, uh, in the text. And he says, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. And so Jesus, he gets it away from, from the individuals. He gets it away even from just the twelve there. And he says, you're not, you're not seeing the whole picture. You're not, you're not seeing the heart of God. Oftentimes pride is about me, but community, and really the church is about we. And so Jesus, you know, he, he brings this child into the, into the scene and it just it throws the disciples off. It must have shocked them. For a rabbi to, to take time to say, this, this little child is, is one of the most important people in your ministry. It must have shocked them, right? And, and what's interesting, that's even more shocking, Jesus says, hey, you can't separate this child from yourselves, from me, or from God. He actually connects all of it together. He brings heaven and earth together. He talks about God the Father, he talks about himself, and he talks about this, this, this quote-unquote least important child. And Jesus you know, brings this idea of community. This idea of community into them, which is ultimately what the church, right? Uh, we're supposed to be all about. It's community, not comparison and competition. Um, so it's, it's quite interesting, you know, when you think about uh, how our, our pride can, again, get in the way of getting uh, what's most important and, and who is most important um, around us. Um, you know, pride considers that someone is worthy of our time. 
Uh, pride considers us someone as worthy of our service. Humility knows we are all worthy because Jesus died for us all, right? Saved and lost. I read a great story about a missionary uh, in the Philippines uh, who was trying to teach a remote native tribe how to play croquet. Right? Croquet, the backyard game. And that's how they say it in the UK, right? Croquet. Okay, I'm saying that my American English is not letting me down. Amen. So he's trying to teach them how to play croquet, these, 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 this native indigenous group. Um, but these people, it says, lived in a culture uh, that survived through cooperation. So as he explained the rules and showed them how they could knock their opponent's ball away, you step on the ball, the opponent's ball, and then, you know, you step on your ball, you can, next to your opponent's ball, you can knock the croquet ball way out of the field, right? And so he's teaching them that particular move that you do against your opponent. But, but, but these people, they couldn't understand this. This was all about competition because they lived in a, in a very poor rural village and it was all about cooperation. So they were confused. They said, why would you want to smash your opponent's ball out of the court? So you can win, the missionary explained. But these quote-unquote primitive tribesmen playing in their loincloths wouldn't do it. After the first man got his ball through all the wickets, he went back and coached the others on how to do it. Finally, when the last man hit his ball through the last wicket, they all jumped up and down and shouted, We won! We won! It's a great story, right? And that's really the spirit, I think, that Jesus is calling his disciples to here in Luke chapter 9. That, you know, if this child loses, you lose. If Peter, James, and John lose, then the nine lose. And it's the same in the church. If I lose, you lose. If you lose, I lose. We win. We all win. You know, because the church, it's, it's about all of us. From the oldest to the youngest. To, to, to the ones that seem most important to the ones that seem least important. Because everyone is important in the church. And so pride, though, pride trips that up so quickly. Pride muddies up the water, right, so quickly in all of our lives when we, do, when we, when we miss uh, this point that Jesus is making simply. And Jesus, of course, is going to ultimately live as he dies in all humility on the cross. True greatness grows from true humility among us all. Uh, and second and finally this morning, true greatness also grows from true acceptance. True acceptance. Uh, back to the text here in verses 49 to 50. Right after this, you know, these guys are on a roll. John says, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. Because he's not one of us. Verse 50, do not stop him, Jesus said. For whoever is not against you is for you. You know that, that, that phrase, not one of us. Unfortunately, churches are often known to be those kind of people today, sadly. And, and, and may we never be a church like that where people walk in and they don't feel like they're, they're one of us. Because of their background or because of the color of their skin or because of their religious beliefs. I hope everyone feels welcomed when they walk through this door. If you're visiting with us today, we hope you feel welcome. If you didn't feel welcome, please let me know. We want you to feel different. We want to feel like one of us as much as we can. But there will always be differences among us. There will always be differences among us. And that is a real challenging thing. We won't always see things the same way in the church. We won't always want to do things the same way in the church. We won't always be happy with the way the church is going. That's just, that's always a challenge. And I think as, as, as British people, you know this full well. For example, for example, you know, stand up if you're a Villa fan. Stand up if you're a Villa fan. If you're a Villa fan, stand up. You can sit down. What about West Brom fans? West Brom? West Brom? 
Christians. Much deeper than a football team. But Jesus taught and lived acceptance yes, toward all kinds of different people, didn't he? And that was one of the things he was most inspired about his ministry. Was he, he was just so welcoming to all kinds of people. Now, there were some things Jesus would not accept in people. But he did accept all people. Jesus didn't accept sin in people. Right? The adulterous woman, John 8, she's brought before Jesus. The Pharisees want, want, want him to condemn her or free her so they can trap him. And, and, and once they all leave off, you know, he says, He without, is without sin, cast the first stone. And, and then he says, You know, has no one condemned you? She says, No one, sir. He says, Neither do I. But go and leave your life of sin. You know, he didn't accept, he accepted her, but he did not accept the sin in her life. You know, he did not accept false doctrine amongst God's people. He cleared the temple, quoted scriptures, because he said they were out of line. Right? The gospel recorded doing that twice. He challenged the traditions of his day. In many instances, there were a lot of man-made oral traditions that Jesus chose not to follow. He challenged them false doctrine. The Bible says he was full of grace and truth. He did not accept sin and false doctrine in people, but he still accepted and loved those people. And that's the challenge for us. We're going to have sin in our lives that we need to repent of. We're going to see it maybe encountered in one another. But we've got to still love each other, but, but, but not accept the sin. We're going, to, we're going to sometimes get our doctrines not, not as they ought to be. But again, we have to get through that and, but still love each other as, you know, as we do. Uh, one of the greatest things I learned in marriage counseling as I was studying it and trying to help other young couples. Man and I have counseled a lot of couples pre-engagement into marriage over the years. And I'll never forget when I learned this, it says, you know, what difference is a lot of times, you know, in a marriage, we tend to want to at first eliminate the difference in our spouse. If we don't like it, it's, it's, it's offensive to us. Eventually, we, we, if we realize it won't change, we kind of back off and then we try to accommodate the difference, but we kind of get resentful because we still don't really like it. But what's really powerful in marriage is, is to not do those two things, but to celebrate and appreciate the differences. Again, not that they're sinful, but I'm talking about sin here. They're all the little quirky things. Every married couple here knows exactly what I'm talking about. And here I think, you know, people of a different tribe, quote unquote, were using Jesus' name in verses 49 and 50. And John says, hey, hey, that needs to stop. That needs to cease, you know. And, uh, and Jesus says, no, if they're not against you, they're for you. And in the church, our, our differences uh, are, are going to be among us, and they're actually, they're actually from God to some degree. You know, if you think about 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 20, Touch of how you know the, the church is like is like a human body, and there are many parts, many parts it says, but one body. And Paul says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, but not for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, but not for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And so God, God actually designed the church that way. He meant for the church to be different. And have many kinds of people, and many kinds of opinions, and many kinds of, 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 of personalities, and many kinds of leaders, and many kinds of followers. And that's, and that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. And something we have to learn to celebrate and embrace in each other uh, when we see those differences causing problems and causing challenges as we all try to stay one body uh, together. But praise God for all our differences. It makes the church ultimately what it's supposed to be. Uh, but these differences can, can make the church challenging, right? Because we're, we're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to be close. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters. And so we've got to learn how to work through uh, our differences. And Paul talks about this quite a bit in Romans chapter 14 and 15. He spends several chapters. Apparently the church in Rome, and it makes sense being that it's Rome, had a lot of, a lot of diversity in its, in its membership. 
And they're trying to work through some, some quote-unquote disputable matters. He talks about that in Romans 14.1. And he says, except, there's the word, right? The one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And he goes into this whole matter of meat sacrifice to idols and other things. And in verse 19 he says, therefore, uh, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. And in mutual edification. So in the midst of our differences, we've got to do everything we can. We've got to make great effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. And as a church, we, we have to we have been working on that. We have to keep working on that. But it's a beautiful thing when we learn to do that. When we learn to understand each other more and more and more. But it'll take time. It'll take time to continue to grow uh, in that endeavor. Uh, and then he wraps it up in chapter 15. Uh, sorry, it's not quite going to fit there. Um, chapter 15. Romans 15, let me just get there in my notes here. He wraps up that part by simply saying this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, it's Romans 15, verses 5 to 7. Romans 15, 5 to 7. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. You know, how do we ultimately accept each other in the midst of our differences? He says, he says, you bring it back to Christ. Because Christ accepted you at your worst, at your lowest point. Of course we can find a way to accept one another, uh, even at some of our low points in life. And so, so let us not accept sin, amen. Let's talk to each other about our sin. Let's, let's work through those challenges with each other. Let's not accept false doctrine in each other. Uh, we had our false doctrine class on Wednesday night, and, and I think it's important to talk about that. But we must accept one another because Christ has accepted us all as Christians. Um, and, and it brings me another interesting point as we close out here, um, under this idea of true acceptance. In the church, it's clear. We're, and, and, and this is our church for sure, and we believe this is the church, uh, you know, as far as that word goes. But what about other groups out there in Christendom? What about that church and that church and that church? And there are many churches, of course, uh, in this city. Well, it's less clear, of course, where we draw those lines, because there are, there are churches out there that might teach false doctrine. Uh, we were going over false doctrine on Wednesday night. One of the false doctrines we were doing was this idea of, of you can just say a prayer and get saved. You can just have faith in Jesus and boom, you're saved. Uh, that's a very modern phenomenon. It didn't even occur to the 18th century in recorded Christian history. This idea of just praying to Jesus and he will save you. So we were talking about that doctrine and how it leaves out repentance and how it leaves out baptism. And how that would be false to just put all of your, your hope in, in just a saving faith. Um, and so we talked about that, but then someone said, well, hey, but, but, but someone could do that, and they could really find faith, and that might eventually lead them to, to a complete salvation experience. And that was a great point. So we don't want to overreact to false teaching, but we do need to be able to talk about those things and challenge those things uh, as we see them pop up uh, in, in one of those lives. And so, yes, we have to be very careful uh, not to embrace other groups that call themselves Christian that are teaching false doctrine. Uh, we have to be very careful not to embrace other groups that, that practice in Christianity we think is harmful or, or dangerous or misrepresents Christ. And so, yeah, as a church, we don't generally go out and just team up with lots of other churches uh, because, of, because of our belief in them. We have to be very careful uh, to guard. But again, even in the midst of maybe a church that we think is really teaching the wrong thing, do we have acceptance and love and compassion and kindness and grace so that we can have a conversation perhaps one day as we love them or humble them about the doctrinal concerns we may have or about the practices that they may be doing that we think might be harmful. But again, we got to have that acceptance in our hearts because Christ, of course, has accepted us. Um, and it's a very serious thing. You know, Paul says in Galatians 1, 6-9, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
So we can't change the gospel, right? Which is really no gospel at all, Paul says. Evidently, some people are thrown into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, Paul says, are an angel from heaven to preach a gospel other than what we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And so Paul, Paul made no apologies about false doctrine. He made no apologies about his stance uh, toward people who did not promote the true gospel. But we know he went to the synagogue and he loved Jews who did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. We know, we know Jesus, you know, was the one who met, sat down with the Samaritan woman beside the well. And so we know that's not promoting any kind of hate or any kind of, of you know, self-righteousness, any kind of, you know, indifference toward people who don't believe what we believe, even amongst those who call themselves Christians. Um, so just a couple things to think about there, you know, having true acceptance in our fellowship with each other as we struggle through our things and, and really having true acceptance uh, toward even religious people who maybe are, are sincere but misguided. You know, are we working on that? Are we working through that? We're trying to have the heart that Christ demonstrates here uh, as he talks uh, to John. Uh, today, you know, we, we, we've explored true greatness just, just for a moment, just for a moment. You know, if you're visiting with us, thank you for joining us uh, with our Cafeteria Sunday here. Uh, we hope you'll come back. Next week we'll be in the larger auditorium. It'll be a little bit less crowded and a little bit less crazy. We'll be back in here one other Sunday. I'm trying to remember what Sunday that is. And I'll let you guys know during our trial period. Continue um, to pray for our church. We are in a transition from afternoon service to morning service, at least experiencing that for seven weeks and filling it out. It's a trial run. We're going to be talking about that uh, in the coming weeks as to what we want to do long term. It's looking like this facility will be starting to be open on Sundays. Uh, so it's looking more likely that we could hire out the uh, the other hall on a regular basis. So we again be praying for that. Nothing's nothing's set in stone yet. But but amen, you know, we're, we're searching for a great venue. We're always looking for greatness, right? That, that's a normal thing, you know. Muhammad Ali said he said he was the greatest, right? At one point, you know, in, in the sixties. And he at one point was the greatest boxer, you know, uh, in his time. Uh, but but we all know no man or no woman can truly say that. Only one man can say that, and that was Jesus. And in Jesus we see true greatness that was amazing. And what's also awesome about Jesus' greatness is we can imitate. We can imitate. And today we've just seen two big ideas to really imitate Jesus so that we can be greater, so that we can be more of what God uh, wants us to be. So may we all strive for more humility and acceptance and find more and more of that true greatness in this life through Jesus. The Roman Church of Christ said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Doris, for that. Um, when it's nice to we'll have one final song. Uh, I encourage you uh, to...